This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week, a special hangar talk, covering the five best stories in GA over the past year. First, airline hiring and the boost to the GA economy. And the emergence of backcountry flying in mainstream aviation. Also, Garmin debuts Autoland. Unfortunately, there are a lot of high-profile accidents in the GA realm. And also, two big anniversaries from AOPA and D-Day. David, you ready to do some hangar talk? Let's do some end-of-the-year hangar talk, Ian. From AOPA... Your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, guys. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And David, I hope you had a great holiday. I'm looking forward to the new year. And so I think this was your idea. We thought, hey, let's just go back over the year and talk about just some things that really stood out to us, things that were really important and and things we love talking about. Absolutely, Ian, and I hope you guys had a great holiday too. It is worth a look back at this year, Ian, at some of the bigger stories that we talked about on Hangar Talk and to try to put things in perspective as we move forward into 2020. Yeah, okay, great. So first, airline hiring. I mean, this one seems a little obvious. It's like, Everybody you know who's ever considered being an airline pilot is being snatched up as fast as possible. I think there's lots of indications that hiring is just as strong as it's ever been. And uh, that is really providing a boost to everything in GA. Indeed, Ian, indeed. And one of the key markers for that is the Boeing pilot and technician forecast. And everyone quotes those same figures, Ian. And over 800,000 pilots are needed and about 760,000 technicians and mechanics. And so what we're seeing is that this is driving a lot of general aviation, which is the proving ground for professional pilots and career pilots. And these are some pretty stout numbers. I mean, you cannot ignore those kind of things. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, there's other things. It's like, obviously, if people want to be hired by an airline, they have to get trained and to be trained, they got to go to a flight school and the flight schools need airplanes, right? And so we've been talking all year about Piper, Cessna, 
Diamond and even Cirrus with the SR20 and how they are just slamming out these trainers. That's right. And so talking about Cirrus, the track trainer, which is designed basically to get folks on board at a pretty young stage in their career to get them familiar with what, what would look like to be the cockpit of the of the airplane of the future. I think that's one of the things that we could look at and see that that's kind of a bellwether of how things are going to go in the next few years. Yeah. So I'm just looking at, you know, third quarter as we record this, Gamed released the third quarter shipments not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. And at the end of the third quarter, it's like Piper had produced 116 archers, which is just unthinkable a few years ago. What, the Skyhawk, 80 of those? I mean, you're talking about a bunch of airplanes from Diamond. So really all over, I think, really good news in that sense. And you were saying, you know, a lot of the airline hiring programs have come on board, and that's a, a huge indicator, I think. Absolutely. Just to rattle off a few names, we've got United's Career Path. We've got Propel from Delta. we got the American Airlines Cadet Academy. Now, now United and uh, American were kind of out the gate early with something like this. Delta started the Propel program last summer, if I recall correctly. And so if you're looking at it from the top down, that's really going to boost a lot of the hiring. But look, Ian, don't forget, you don't have to go all the way through the career path to be in the cockpit of a commercial airliner. There are other paths that you can take into aviation that will still fulfill the need for those mega thousands of pilots. There's corporate aviation. There are non-government organizations, aviation opportunities and missionary work, things like that. There's government work. So there are plenty of opportunities for pilots, but we're looking at a lot more appetite on the part of the traveling public and basically more people flying and bigger airplanes and more airplanes in the sky. Yeah, yeah, you got it. So you mentioned, you know, I know a few folks who have been hired with like, you know, less than 500 hours flying turboprops, you know, CBPs looking for helicopter pilots and fixed wing pilots. And uh, like you mentioned, for government jobs, I know the military is hurting for pilots. So, man, if you... If you're looking at a career change or getting into it, it's like there, it is really hard to imagine a better time. And it just continues to grow and grow and grow the past couple of years. We don't see much insight in the way of uh, slowing that down. We're looking at, uh, like we're talking about, 804,000 pilots over the next 20 years. That's like 4,000 a year, and unless my math is off. And so that's, that's kind of a lot in uh, maintenance personnel, but also cabin crew members as well. There are also jobs in the IT industry that help aviators get going in the weather fields, things like that. But the big question is, why are there only 633,000 pilots in the FAA registry now versus in 1988? I'm sorry, in 1980, and there were more than 820,000 pilots on the FAA registry. I mean, that's a good question to ask. What's the reason for that? Yeah, and what's going to happen in the future? But, you know, if you're not looking for a career, one thing that we've seen is also kind of this seismic shift to the fun side of GA, and that's the backcountry flying. Now, what used to be kind of a fringe activity just a couple of years ago is now, I would say, mainstream and, and growing like crazy, and people are just loving it. That's right. The short takeoff and landing contests and, and demonstrations have taken aviation by storm, and including AOPA, where we've really embraced that concept. And our own Paul Harrop has broadcast that live at the three flyings we had this year, and there are plans to do that with our three flyings next year as well. Yeah. You know, Stoll Drag, which was sort of a little-known activity out in the desert, has become, I would say, one of the major flyings of the year. Tickets are hard to get, you know. It's quite an event. Uh, people talk about it all year. 
So that, you know, at Oshkosh, they're showing it off now. And this all, it's funny because, you know, a lot of this came from, you know, Valdez has been doing this for years. Right. But of course, they're so isolated and it's like, you know, it didn't really make it down. Well, now it really has. And so even obviously a lot of this happens out West, but um, you're seeing it all over the country where people are buying Cub Crafters, Huskies, Super Cubs, stuff like that, and uh, and really getting into it, which is just awesome. Well, there, well, it's fun flying to do, Ian, and it has been proven that yes, you can get a brand new Cub Crafters for a couple hundred grand there, and then go out there and do your thing. But you could also do the same thing with basically a, a lawnmower engine and a you know a pair of wings and a <laughs> yeah. little bit of fuselage. So <laughs> that's right. You can go That's from right. one end of the extreme to the other. You know, lawnmower yeah. man you know, could do pretty good. But um, it does bring it down to the most basic levels of flying. And it really is an exhibition of skill. And honestly, if we look at it critically, and it is a good way to make us sharper pilots to be able to have these precision landings and precision takeoffs and really know our aircraft better. So speaking of which, you know, talking about contests coming up and being more mainstream – the stall demo was part of the Reno Air Races this year, and as a demonstration sport, and I think next year it's going to be the real deal. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. So yeah, when it gets to Reno, you know, there's some legitimacy there. So yeah, really cool to watch, and really neat to see people gravitate to that side of aviation. Which you said, I think I do think makes better pilots with its stall competitions, and then and really those are what they've been able to do is take uh, make a spectator sport out of what used to be sort of a solitary activity. And that's uh, that's some pretty ingenious stuff there I think they're working on. Right. And before we leave the subject, so let's just remind folks that there is something for everyone in uh, 2020. If you want to see some of these uh, short takeoff and landing contests, head over to San Marcos, Texas, May 29th to 30th at the AOPA Fly-In. Casper, Wyoming, June 19th to 20th. And Rochester, New York, September 11th and 12th. All right. Very good. So, hey, moving on. Garmin, Autoland. I mean, this is going to be our only piece of tech on this list this year. And I think it really deserves it because this system that Garmin has developed, you know, now in concert with Cirrus and Piper is just, I think we're going to look back on this moment and say this was a turning point in aviation technology the same way that we do GPS now. I totally agree with you, Ian. And it's uh, Garmin came out with this and I've got to probably mispronounce it. Is it autonomy? A-U-T-O-N-O-M-I. That's yeah, the, sure. The, that's the yeah. system. That's the, that's <laughs> yeah. what they dubbed their emergency system. So it's basically designed so that a passenger can take over at the push of the button a way to land the airplane. What to me was really most interesting about this, Ian, is the fact that there was a lot of buy-in from the FAA because the aircraft automatically will squawk 7700, the emergency frequency, and the airplane will turn towards the nearest suitable runway and it lands pretty much without human intervention. This is an amazing piece of technology. It really is, you know. And they and Garmin, I think, did so much. You know, it's like they technology-wise, this was probably available a couple of years ago. But it's like they continue to think through really the human factors here. So, like you said, it's like they do all the sort of the automated squawking and some, you know, broadcast to ATC. They inform the passengers what's going on at all times on the screens. Yes, in a, in a very graphically pleasing uh, way. It's not yeah. in an, alar- an alarming way. It's a pretty matter of fact, and it's, it's like a menu. You go from uh, A to B to C, like you're you know, baking a cake or something to get the airplane on the ground, and, and really walks folks through it. I think this is a really interesting thing. Yeah, Now, and Garmin won't say this, and so we're going to have to speculate a little bit here, but I, I do think, and one reason I say we're going to look back on this point is I think you know this is kind of the first step into sort of autonomy, you know, more full autonomy. And and you mentioned the FAA being on board. And I think Garmin, the way they're able to do that is they were they said, look, this is an emergency system. 
when this thing activates, chances are the pilot is completely incapacitated. So what we're doing is saving a life. You know, we're not, so it's not kind of an extra layer of something the pilot has to deal with or that might malfunction or something like that. It's like, this pilot was already gone. We're bringing him back. And that's significant. Saving maybe more than one life, too, because if you're talking about having a passenger intervene, uh, that's a key bit of the system. Now, what To me, again, I just want to reiterate, you know, the radio makes these calls to ATC, announces the location, aircraft type, intention to land at the airport, so that in my mind... You know, air traffic controllers have to learn sort of a, a new procedures here on this deal. You know, where it's not the pilot calling, it's actually the aircraft is making the call. And to me, that that kind of buying and that kind of a hand holding, I thought was just really interesting. But you know, we do need to uh, let our podcast listeners know that it is set up right now for the Cirrus SF50 Vision Jet, and as you mentioned, the Piper's M600 turboprop. But we're hoping to see that trickle down one day to other GA aircraft with some of the Garmin products that are already installed. Yeah, that's a good point. And so, you know, and the reason I think partly that they're on those aircraft is, you know, you've got that sweet spot with kind of with owner flown, but also a lot of technology. So, for example, that it needs the system now needs like an auto braking system. And both of those aircraft are going to have that. And so there's also, you know, kind of the idea of like a radar automator or something like that. And so, but that's not to say that this couldn't then come down to a 172 or, you know, who knows how far in the future that might happen. But I definitely think that the potential is there as well as probably go up into jets. Now, once you get into a crude situation, the need for this is less. But like I said, I think the technology is going to find its way into more kind of everyday flying. But, you know, probably a few years in the future now we're talking. I'll tell you what, man, I've been in an emergency landing situation before, an engine out situation, and it would be nice to have a little bit more handholding. And I'm all for yeah. it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, hey, actually, speaking of accidents, on the sad note for the show, accidents were a problem this year. Obviously, we are always concerned about that. Air Safety Institute is always working for it. But there were a couple of high-profile accidents that were, in particular, really damaging to aviation, I think. That's right. And unfortunately, one of the most high-profile accidents occurred with a, a basically a sightseeing B-17 in Connecticut. And that occurred in October, on October the 2nd, with a loss of life, including the loss of life of one of the most experienced B-17 warbird pilots in the country. That was a big blow to the Collings Foundation. It was their aircraft. But also, we really need to keep an eye on stuff like this, Ian, because we don't know how quick people could have a knee-jerk reaction to this, you know, as far as a regulation standpoint. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, in case in point, you know, it's like Connecticut Senator Blumenthal came on immediately after this crash. And I say immediately, you know, and it might have been like the next day or something like that, but and was was just pouncing on it. You know, it's like these things shouldn't be in the air and they're dangerous and everything else. And so you can see immediately the impact this is going to have and the work that's going to be required behind the scenes to keep these things flying. Right. And of course, I did claim seven lives including the pilot, the co-pilot, five passengers uh, aboard that B-17G. And that was in Connecticut. It's so one of the busier airports in Connecticut at uh, Bradley International Airport. And as we record the show, we still don't have, you know, the final report in. And it's going to take months and months, but involved uh, a couple of engines on the four-engine aircraft, apparently, and we say apparently because we don't know, not functioning correctly. Uh, and the aircraft landed, and it was basically a landing accident that went very, very wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hey, we were just talking about backcountry. That's flying that's not without risks. So Draco, which has been one of the stars of this whole movement, oh, unfortunately came to an untimely end on September 16th with Mike Petty leaving Reno. 
And Mike Patey was really circumspect about that, Ian. He came on to his YouTube channel after he spoke with us, and he basically you know, provided me a couple. He said, look, it was all me. And uh, it was my fault, and it was a just for folks who weren't paying attention back then. There was a huge honking crosswind that he tried to take off in, and I think he feared that he could do it because the aircraft was so capable, and he had such good experience in the aircraft. But it proved to be too much; it just overpowered it. And you're right, that Draco airplane—it looked like a grasshopper with a big engine on it, you know. And it really, really turned a lot of people's hearts, you know, basically getting them aboard this backcountry aspect. And it made a lot of folks turn to aviation that might not have thought about aviation. And he had built up a huge following among the general public, not the aviation public, but the general public. So it was a big blow to to Patey and general aviation. Yeah, you make a great point because, you know, it's like all you have to do is turn on the TV now to know that the sort of the tuner car culture is big mainstream now. You know, people modding out their cars and drag racing and, and doing all sorts of things. And, and really, Draco was kind of the closest we have to that in aviation where um, a lot of people related to relate to the Pades. They think the project is kind of cool and it shows this sort of ingenuity and you know this ability to kind of tinker and build your own stuff that I think people are really attracted to. And so yeah, to see it uh, to see a crash was really unfortunate. Thankfully everyone you know nobody was hurt. And I did think it was really big of Mike to come on and say, you know, basically, hey, I screwed up, you know, right from the beginning, I just shouldn't have flown, the wind was too strong, and, and I, you know, it takes guts to do something like that. It does, and there was a good takeaway from all of that, where it was a lesson learned, and, and we did find out in the ensuing couple of months that he's going to build another aircraft that's going to be even more capable, he says, and, and to try to keep that buzz going in that um, backcountry super stall, you know, short takeoff and landing world. So, you know, hats off to him and, and hopefully keep a lot more people involved and get some folks more involved in the aviation. And we are very, very happy that no one was hurt in that crash. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I hate to dwell on this, but the, it was kind of a theme for the year. You know, another set of crashes that happened were actually with King Airs. And you might not have noticed this because, you know, if you don't follow sort of business aviation accidents and that sort of thing, these are both happened in they both happened in June. One was in Hawaii, the other in Texas. 21 combined fatalities, similar profiles of maybe engine trouble soon after takeoff or during the initial climb. And this is a concern. And, and one of the reasons it's a concern, uh, beyond obviously the, the, you know, the tragedy and how it affects the people most directly involved, is that these are really big accidents in terms of losses. So when you start to look at like the insurance market and I think the training, you know, how the training market is sort of structured, it's like, these things really matter, you know, and they, and they do have impact. And I and I think people will be feeling this for the next couple of years. The aircraft themselves, the King Airs, are very capable aircraft, but they are not cheap aircraft. That's what you're going for. And they're also are usually, I mean, they're, they're aircraft that are people hauling aircraft. So there are you know, oftentimes passengers on board these aircraft and not just one, but, you know, numerous. You can ha- have, you know, eight passengers or 10 passengers on one of these aircraft and they do operations like skydiving they do a lot of we're talking about uh, non-government entities a little while ago when we're talking about careers and i actually flew in a king air you know with operation care flying into angola so these aircraft are they're built for the outback they're built for these you know these areas where there's some turmoil so there's a little higher incidence of that and and maybe the pilots are pushing them too much i don't know i don't know yeah yeah it just remains to be seen but you're right it is alarming and as you mentioned, this could have a big impact on the rest of the general aviation fleet as far as insurance liabilities go. And now the last one we'll talk about, and then we'll stop dwelling on this and get to happier news, but Dale Earnhardt. Now this one, I think, you know, it's like anytime there's a celebrity involved, people notice. And uh, this was a bit of a weird one. Thankfully, again, 
people walked away mostly unhurt, but uh, a sovereign uh, with a runway incident, which is pretty unusual. And that's right. And it was in August of uh, about August 15th this year, Ian, as the Earnhardt crew was headed to a race in Tennessee. And uh, Earnhardt is the owner of Junior Motorsports, who I actually know Dale Earnhardt, you know, casually, because I photograph a little bit of NASCAR. But uh, he was fortunately not hurt. His wife was with him. Their baby was with him. But uh, the aircraft landed at Elizabethton Airport in Tennessee, and it basically was a bounce landing that the pilots tried to get out of and make a go-around, but at that point, there just wasn't enough runway left, and and when the airplane came down again, basically, it looked like one of the landing gears kind of poked through the wing, and and the airplane came to a stop, and it caught on fire. So it was a pretty high-profile crash. It was all over the news channels, and that's one thing that, as general aviation pilots, we don't want to see, and so there was a lot of interest in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, hey, be safe out there in 2020. Don't uh, don't let us talk about you next year. And, um, you know, keep that training up and uh, and make those good decisions. Moving on. Hey, happy news. Let's uh, celebrate the end of the show this year and for the year and talk about a couple of really big anniversaries that happen. The first being, you know, toot our horn a little bit, AOPA. Our 80th anniversary, and i got to tell you, I was really happy to be part of the AOPA team to celebrate our 80th anniversary this year and man we had a wonderful fly-in here at frederick which included some of the aircraft that ended up flying overseas to help celebrate the 75th anniversary of d-day and aopa really did it up right for our home airfield celebration as well as two other wonderful fly-ins this year and and it was just you know the sign of things to come we have a coffee table book that people can get actually yep details a lot of our history Yep, it's a good book. We worked on it. You know, you and I both worked on it. I, I think we're really proud of it. It's uh, it's really cool if you just look through it like, as a coffee table book and just check out the photos over the years. It's really neat. We cover a lot of famous airplanes and people and things like that. So it's not just about AOPA. And there's a little museum now at the AOPA headquarters. So if you come through Frederick, you'll see that in the back atrium. And we did that because of the 80th anniversary. And like you said, celebrated through the fly-in. So just really cool to be a part of the team, like you said, and, you know, through 80 year, 80 really incredible years for general aviation. And, and as part of that, as I alluded to just a moment ago, we had several of the aircraft, the historic warbirds that were part of the D-Day celebration. They were here in Frederick, Maryland. And Ian, we can't end this segment without talking about the honoring of the of the aircraft and the warbirds and the people who dedicated their lives to keep the aircraft going, where dozens of parachutists joined at least 15 of the models going back across the English Channel to help celebrate this uh, 75th anniversary of D-Day. Yeah, really phenomenal. And so everybody who was there, I know, just had an incredible time. They said that it was a very sobering experience, but really, obviously, uh, an incredible thing to mark the 75th anniversary. Like you said, I think there were, uh, according to D-Day Squadron, there were maybe 15 DC-3s and C-47s that flew across the ocean, which is amazing. And then uh, I think you read there were something like 25 who made the trip uh, across the channel. Yeah. Yeah, they came from Europe and, and points uh, elsewhere to join them, so 25 altogether or so. And, and Ian, just planning a trip to go from the States over to England uh, through that northern route, that had to be just tricky to do. It's uh, trickier to do now than then, maybe, but uh, because these aircraft are now 75 years old. Yeah, yeah. so that's all, brother, uh, like it did 75 years ago, let it again, which uh, I think just goes to show the dedication, you say, of the volunteers and the benefactors who made that happen. And so really, I think something to be proud of as a GA community to bring that together, and especially those folks who operate those airplanes, the D-Day Squadron, and all their supporters, really phenomenal event. I, I know 
you know, they had reenactments, visited museums, obviously went to ceremonies, and um, really, really great to be able to celebrate that history. And in 2020, there's going to be a little bit more celebration, too, because the Arsenal of Democracy has plans to bring some of these warbirds back across and uh, and parade them in the air above Washington, D.C., and also Hawaii for Pearl Harbor uh, commemoration. So we have to keep our eye on that, and that's uh, yet to come in 2020. Yeah, so hey, who knows what else next year will bring, but um, we'll be there every other week, just like we were this year. And David, like I said, I hope you had a great holiday and have a great new year, and we'll see you next year. We'll see you next year, Ian. And before we go, we want to thank all of our podcast listeners uh, to Hangar Talk and you know, keep those ideas coming when you can. If you see us at the fly-ins or you want to give us a ring or an email, give us a shout. And you can find us on iTunes at the Sporties Takeoff app at the AOPA site, www.aopa.org slash talk, And we're also on Spotify. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.